Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. I'm Ross Hillier, your host. Today, I am super, super excited about this episode. I was able to sit down and have a chat with Tony Blauer. And uh, I got to see Tony speak at Summer Strong back in May. Uh, but I've been following Tony for several years now. And he has been in the, the martial arts, self-defense, defense tactics, combatives industry for almost four decades now. And he's one of the only combatives experts who has been successful in affecting training across all combat-related communities. So we're talking like self-defense, combat sports, military, law enforcement sector. Uh, he's done a ton of research on physiology, mindset, which we talk a lot about in this episode. It was really uh, a great conversation. And specifically as it relates to confrontation uh, and management of fear, which is really kind of the, the whole driving subject of this interview that we did today was talking about fear. And uh, Blauer Tactical Systems uh, specializes in the research and development part of close quarter combat tactics, uh, scenario-based training, law enforcement, military professional self-defense. I mean, he has revolutionized so much of what self-defense community and industry is all about. And he's been doing it for, like I said, almost 40 years. So I was really, really excited to get to talk to him uh, about that specifically, but also as it relates to fear, uh, how we manage fear and what it is to know fear. And uh, what I mean by no fear is K-N-O-W fear. And we talk a lot about that and how that affects our decision-making, what he's seeing going on in the world right now as it relates to being peppered by fear messaging and what it's doing to people. It was just a fascinating conversation. And I'm really, uh, really thankful I was able to talk with him about this. I we, He gave a fantastic presentation at Summer Strong. And I knew then I just needed to try and get him on the podcast to go a little bit more in depth about it. And luckily, we were able to make it happen. So I was super excited that we were able to do this today. 
Um, before we get into the episode, uh, this episode is brought to you by Ride On Optics, the only military uh, veteran law enforcement owned optics company in the world. And uh, they have fantastic optics. They also have an awesome uh, section of their website called Ride On Revolution, which has tons of great educational content. They have the Ride On podcast. They have Ride On University. They have a blog, a bunch of great things going on there. So go check it out, R-I-T-O-N-Optics.com. And here is my interview with Tony Blauer. All right, everybody. Nomad Strength Show today. I'm joined by Mr. Tony Blauer. Tony, thank you for making time today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it, Ross. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I got to see you speak at SummerStrong back in May. And uh, I've actually followed you for years now. So it was cool to actually get to see you in person speak and talk about fear. And uh, and really, I mean, that's your whole jam. We're getting into that today. But it was just a lot of fun to to get to hear you in person. And uh, for a lot of people who don't know you, I mean, you've been in martial arts, self-defense, tactical world, teaching for several decades now and uh, developed a lot of really cool systems. So, I mean, as briefly as we can, because all this stuff is available for everywhere. I mean, you're all over the place. So why don't you give just like a little, how did this begin and how did it grow into huh. what it is now? So the, uh, man, how to, how to keep that short, because I'm 61 years old. So <laughs> if, I, if I just tell a little bit each year, it'll take, it'll take uh, quite, quite a while. Hey, listen, man, the, the real the real story, I was just writing something this morning, um, uh, a letter to parents. And uh, it was it was interesting. Um, the. It was this idea that. If I knew now what I what if I knew when I was 10 years old, what I know now about fear, about mindset, and that might seem that, that might seem ridiculous in the sense that uh, um you know, how do you, how do you take a like sixty years of life and put it in a ten year old's head? What I'm right. specifically talking about is my relationship with fear. So as a kid, I was afraid of everything. Like most kids, you know, you're afraid of the shadows, you're afraid of dark. But I was afraid of every every sport. And let me qualify that I I I was good at every sport. I was a natural athlete, but I was afraid of competing. I was afraid of letting down the team. I was afraid of, you know, dropping the ball. I was afraid of, you know, the guy that was going to screw up. It affected my whole career as an athlete. So what's interesting is like some people, oh, imposter syndrome. No, it wasn't that because I was fit. I showed up. I wasn't picked last. I wasn't the water boy. But I'd be up there. And instead of being up there at bat going, okay, yeah, let's do this. I'd be like, don't strike out. Don't strike out. You know, and it's a horrible way to navigate life. And a lot of that, when I talk about this to people, you can see kind of this like look come over most people's faces where they realize there's aspects of their life where they've had that, whether it's public speaking, whether it's, you know, uh, their relationship, how they communicate, uh, uh, they hate their job, they, but they want to be an entrepreneur, but they're too afraid. But all of this starts when we're kids. And, and that's, the, that's the pattern. Your relationship with fear defines you as you get older. And uh, so that was me. Um, I discovered martial arts when I was around 12 after getting beaten up by a couple of guys and telling my dad. And he said, well, you got to learn martial arts. And I'm like, okay. I was, I was, this is interesting. I just made this, this connection um, uh, maybe last week talking to somebody. 
as a six, seven-year-old in the 60s, I would be glued to the TV anytime a fight scene came on. So back in the day, I don't know how old you are, um, <clears throat> and but I don't know if you remember shows like Manix, The Streets of San Francisco, the original so, Green Hornet. It's a yeah, little before like, me, but I know the yeah, show. Yeah. I know the show. Right. So, you know, the original Wild Wild West. So I would sit there glued to the TV. House could be on fire, and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, watching. And I say that jokingly because my mom, you grew up in the 60s, things were different with, with how your mom talked to you and is like, you know, okay. it's dinner, get upstairs. It's not like, sweetheart, is it okay? Here's a, here's an award. Here's an award for you. I'm giving you a prize because you brushed your teeth. I'm giving you a prize today. Everyone wins today. Um, but back then it was like, you know, grab by the ear, get upstairs. Like right. things are different. Right. And, uh, but I can remember my mom going, I called you three times for dinner. And I'd be like, what? Because there was a fight scene on TV. Right. I was infatuated with it. I made this connection last week where I go, you know, I think that somehow the little kid in me who was afraid of everything saw that everybody who knew how to fight saved the day on every TV show. Sure. And they, but they never also, this was interesting, they never, you never saw in the 60s anyone embody or express fear. Just wasn't talked about. And, okay. and that holds true for today, yeah. hence my t-shirt. And, and you know, one of the most important parts of my company is just our changing our relationship with fear. But all that fast forward here, 12 years old, I get jumped. I start doing, there's only one school in the area, Taekwondo school, I start doing that. And, but what I realized is I was like secretly hoping that all my martial art training would take care of all, take, take away all the fear I've ever had. And it didn't. I was still afraid to ask, you know, Lucy out to uh, the school prom. I was still nervous as shit when the teacher said, everyone put your books on the floor. We got a little surprise quiz for you. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Right? <laughs> Even though I felt like I knew, you know. Right. Okay, uh, who wants to start off today doing the oral presentation of the book Catcher in the Rye? Tony. Oh, fuck me. Like, <laughs> you know, like it was just always there. And what I realized is, Everyone sort of felt that, but for some reason, some people, I just overthought about it. Like, I just, like, it was just obsessed. I obsessed with it. Fast forward, got into martial arts, fell in love with martial arts. Like, just fell in love with it. Would train seven days a week, got really good, but still had the fear. If I was in a competition, oh, fuck, you're going to lose. This guy's big. He's faster than you. He's like, I never, you know, there's a, a quote that I love using. And it's from uh, Dan Millman, who wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And his quote is, if you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered. One of my favorite. If you're facing just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered. And uh, that was me. That was the story of my life. I, I was skilled. I was there. I showed up. I was on the starting line. But I was going, you're not fast enough. You're not strong enough. You're not. I was thinking about all of, you know, my perceived flaws or limitations. And uh, and I would and I would do well. I, you know, I was very successful at stuff, but it was the duress with the success, right? It was it, it was that uh, I got to write that down. Hold on a second. <laughs> um, um, so it was like this. This I just write shit. I got you guys can't see this, but like my whole gym and everything is a. Um, 
is a whiteboard everywhere. All just over, a all giant, over there, giant note taking. Giant. I'm, I'm a big whiteboard guy. But <laughs> I love it. But so it's it's like 1980. I'm training. I'm teaching a little bit. Uh, uh, so I've got people to work out with. I'm working for my dad. And uh, how this whole thing kicked off was uh, one of my dad's good friends. I'm working at my dad's office. I'm a shipper. I'm making four bucks an hour. And uh, one of my dad's best friends, this guy Joey, sees me training. I'm beating the shit out of some boxes and the, that had just come in and we just emptied them and they were huge. And so this is like 1980. So it's four years after Rocky. We'd get these big boxes that were literally like you could stand inside them, right? That's how huge they were. And I would, I'd smash the shit out of them after. I'd, I'd box them like Rocky would beat up beef, right? <laughs> right? Yep. And and it was literally like that. They were they were huge. If you if you hit it good, you'd perforate the the, the box and get a little auditory, you know, uh, um, uh, feedback. And this guy Joey Watt is watching me jump back kick, side kick, punching. He says, "Hey," and he's known me for years. Good friend of my dad. He goes, "Yeah, you've gotten really good. Hey, would you teach my son Mitchell?" He's having a bully issue in school. And that really kicked off my company and I fell in love. I'd already, I'd already teaching tennis and, and other things. I was like, I, I was teaching skiing. I love to coach and uh, it was natural. And uh, Mitchell, three months later, the this verbal bully altercation escalated into something physical and I've been training Mitchell, but what was I teaching him? I love boxing. I love kicking from Taekwondo. I had wrestled competitively. I was doing wrestling, boxing, kicking. It was, you know, some hybrid version of what mixed martial arts is as a foundation. And um, Mitch got his ass kicked. And his loss hit me harder than it hit him. And he got hit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Right. But... But when he told me what happened, they had exchanged some words. The guy shoved him. Mitchell grabbed him as a reflex. They're 15 years old. And he grabs him and slams the guy and says, don't ever put your hands on me. It was the first time he'd gone physical. Don't ever, you know, get your hands on, put your hands on me. And while the guy's like, while Mitchell's like threatening him not to ever go physical, missing the irony of being physical while he's telling the guy that. But you're 15, like testosterone, ego, fear. The guy drops him with a left hook. So Mitchell tells me the story and I'm like, dude, why didn't you like slip or parry or do any of the things we did? And he goes, I don't know, it happened so fast. He said, I said, well, what are you, where were you standing? How were you like, were you in a stance? What? He goes, well, I grabbed the kid with my shirt and I was holding my school books. Well, if you visualize this, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're releasing the video, I know it's just audio now, but maybe one day yeah. video. If you're looking at this, if I'm holding your shirt and I got books in my hand and you punch me in the face, you're gonna hit me, right? Because your hands are occupied. Well, what happened in that moment, and I was 20 years old, it was 1980, I had this insight, man, I had this vision. Oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. We collectively, the world, we teach block-based training. I see guitars on your on your wall. If, if you only, um, are you decent? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I like that answer. Uh, if you only ever looked at chords and notes and scales and never listened to music, well, you might be a unicorn and, and write shit, but you might just think that music was scales. 
And so people come over and you go, hey, let me jam for you. And you go, da na 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 You go, wow, it's kind of boring after a while, right? But you listen to, you know, Zeppelin or Dave Gill, you know, like, you know, Jimmy Page, Van Halen, I don't know who you're into, you know. But suddenly you're going, holy shit, he did that with a guitar. And really what it is, it's no. So fighting and self-defense is understanding how to apply the notes of the toolbox. This is a block, this is a kick, this is a punch. The problem is it's mostly taught in block-based training. So it's, I'm here turning this into a music class uh, that you don't need, but <laughs> it's, it's, when I taught Mitchell how to, how to defend himself, it was, this is boxing, this is kicking, this is wrestling. We would spar, but there was no context the context is the scenario. And I had this epiphany, big fancy word for a light bulb moment, in 1980 at 20 years old. And from that day forward, everything we did, we would say, what is the scenario? Why are we practicing this? In fact, some of your audience may know the name Simon Sinek. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name, Sinek or Sinek. But his big thing when he burst onto the scene was, you got to know your why. What's your why? That's your purpose, that's your mission, what's your why? Well, guess what? In 1986, I wrote an article for Insight Karate Magazine, and the title of it was A Word to the Wise, and it was spelled W-H-Y-S. So even in the, like back in the 80s, I wanted to know why we're doing it, and I wanted my students to know why we're doing it. And uh, that began began like my incubator period, the 80s, where, where I built, what are now three verticals in my company. And, and now we're, you know, as, as you alluded to in the beginning, we're world renowned. We do stuff from organizations to governments, to department of defense, to all over the world. Um, but in the eighties, I created a self-defense protocol that turned into uh, a, a, the, probably the world's most uh, scientifically based approach to scenario training, meaning we're looking at physiology, we're looking at the neurobiology of fear, what it does to our body, how do we capitalize that and kind of convert that into something protective. Uh, it gave way to uh, uh, observing the startle flinch response and its application for personal defense. Your startle flinch is part of your, your, your body's survival mechanism. It's part of the cross extensor reflex. A sudden stimulus, a dangerous stimulus makes our hands come up to protect our head. If they're time and space, we push away danger. I figured out how to weaponize that. It's faster than conscious thought. It bypasses conscious thought. Discovering that a sudden violent stimulus can hijack executive function. Executive function is how you talk with your uh, cognitive brain. And, and cognitive brain is the mind navigates the body. That's how you send messages you know, through your whole nervous system to your neuron that says, block this punch, palm strike this guy. Um, so our system is really, uh, you know, like understanding the neuroscience of self-defense. And uh, it's, it's pretty badass. And during that, we started doing all these scenarios. One day, one of my students in the 80s says to me, we should have, because we were, we were like Frankenstein gear you, to do stuff realistically. We put on, I grew up in Canada. I live in the States now. But, you know, you're either a skier or a, or a skater from Canada. I was a skier, but, you know, we all had skating equipment and hockey stuff. So we would, we would spar us. We would get together, beat the shit out of each other. But it would be like a hockey helmet. Hockey gauntlets, <laughs> taekwondo chest guard, 
baseball shin guards and we would dress up and then put on here's a here's an oldie vhs right vhs tapes yeah you guys will have to google what that is um and and it was amazing we, we and we would do these scenarios where we would reenact the beginning of a confrontation and then let the physical evolve organically so that was just very different than sparring it wasn't like hey let's do let's do two on one and we get in the ring and you'd stand there with gloves on and then we'd all fight. There's a lot of people that do that and think they're training for multiple assailants. It's part of the experience, but the most important thing that was missing was the, it was the, your, the emotional, psychological duress waiting for something to kick off. So you probably, do you play, do you play music in a band? Not anymore. Okay. I have in the past with, with groups of guys and stuff. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, lo- I, lo- I love music and used to play in a band. I'm not very good. But but this the same thing as a fight. It was waiting for the song or the show to start, which was the fear. But then now when everything came together, you're right there. Like, and now you're like, like literally that's when the art and the, the act and the actor are one, right? But it's the same thing in, in confrontation management. It's the same thing when you're doing a talk. It's the same thing even pre-podcast. I wonder if Ross will be cool. I wonder if this will be suck. I wonder if he's got good questions. I wonder, am I going to be nervous today? You know, and how do we reconcile? So all of that, and, 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 I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you take over here. But what happened during a decade and plus of doing scenarios, I noticed this. People were afraid to do the scenarios because it, was, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't a common, people were afraid to just spar. And then we'd say, okay, stand over there. It's three o'clock in the morning. Two guys are going to approach you. Let's see what happens. And then we'd simulate stuff and, and replicate those conditions where people had to morally, ethically, legally deescalate and diffuse and nonviolent postures. So you weren't used to standing in your boxing stance, your Taekwondo stance or whatever. And uh, these were public force on force seminars that we would do in Montreal. We got pretty well known for it where outsiders would come in, sign a waiver, talk, and they'd go through the training. And I started noticing people who I thought were gonna kick ass and do really well didn't. And then people who I thought were just gonna roll over and freak out didn't. And I became fascinated with fear again. How, and I realized, and we ended up, I did uh, uh, five videotapes for one of the, at the time, the biggest uh, instructional video company in the world, Panther Productions, they had everybody on their roster. And uh, my first tape was called Cerebral Self-Defense, The Mental Edge. So I already spent years and years and years trying to create a pre-fight system for my students, you know? And I keep going back to the guitar because I see that beautiful guitar on the wall. When I was taking lessons, my my guitar instructor, this guy, Mark, who did uh, session work, you know, like, uh, you know, with uh, like, a lot of bands used to come to Montreal. We had some very famous producers there. And and you would have like, whether it was Sting or whoever, like, like and they would come and Mark Mark was a sessions player. And one day he's, he could hear anything and just, and I'd go, dude, why aren't you a rock star? And he was like, you know, uh, I wanted to raise my kid. I'd want to do the parties and I want, but the reality is that I never said this to him because I didn't understand it at the time. Everyone wants to be a rock star. 
And if you're a fucking good guitarist, why wouldn't you be in a rock star? You just don't want to be a dickhead and die of an overdose or be a prick or, you know, become an asshole when you're, when you're, when you're drunk or high or have too much money. Right. But, but that comes with businessmen that comes with athletes. If you look around, are there corrupt, uh, um, uh, people in the church? Are there corrupt lawyers? Are there corrupt politicians? Like, and so there's asshole, uh, actors and there's asshole, asshole athletes. And there's, you know, uh, so my whole thing is like, if you're a good person, success should amplify that. When I would get drunk, I became nicer and funnier. I didn't break things and become mean, right? So uh, uh, deep down, I believe I'm a good person. I work on myself every day, still to this day. You know, I don't get out of bed without meditating and doing breathing exercises and going, you know, I'm distracted by things. And I go, no, you, you've got to get this done today. You promised yourself and the company you're going to do this. Stay focused. Um, so I'm always working on myself and trying to be a better leader, better dad, better husband, uh, uh, better man. And, um, but all of this, I realized, runs through this unconscious fear filter where we rationalize, you know, what we're going to do or why we do things. And uh, I discovered all that in the 80s, teaching self-defense. The science part of that is what's super interesting to me because it would seem that like, especially since you've done it and shown the scientific side of it, that it would be done more often, but I don't really see it is much. And it's, it's mind boggling. It's weird. And so like, but from a physiological perspective, especially t tuning it into, you, you mentioned like breath work, right? Uh, how our nervous system operates going from parasympathetic to sympathetic side of our nervous system that fight flight mode, like where that lives. And most people don't understand how to manipulate that. Right. And, and it seems like that's kind of what you're approaching in the science-based part of this, like understanding what fear does to our nervous system. Cause that's what, you know, kicks off any of these responses right. is how your nervous system is reacting and how you can manipulate and control that. Right. And so, I mean, there's, there's, there's tools like breath work or, you know, nasal breathing to, to stay calm and this kind of thing. But you're using it as how do we basically use it for our advantage in this situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, Stephen Kotler, who um, is a, a flow research wizard. I don't know if you, 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 yeah, you know yeah, name, I love no. his stuff. So, you know, he, one of his lines that he says over and over is, again is, is you got to get biology to work for you. And uh, it made me think, well, what have I been trying to tell people for th literally 30 years, over three decades? The mind navigates the body. If you don't manage your fear, you don't manage the fight. And the fight could be relationship, self-actualization, uh, uh, you know, public speaking, getting on stage, right? Whatever it is, uh, you know, you could be amazing and you screw up in an audition because you're worried about the outcome, then it doesn't matter that you were amazing because nobody saw that. So fear is a noxious force. It's, it's an invisible force in all our lives. And then we rationalize it. And I, and I, I don't remember where I first saw this, but rationalize is spelled with a hyphen right? Meaning we rationally lie 
no, 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 I'm not interested in that. Or yeah, yeah, the light was in my eyes, you know, or, you know, they changed this so it didn't work out. But you you got to show up, you know, and, and, and self-awareness is the key to critical thinking. But if you don't understand how fear is interfering with what you wanted to do, uh, then you don't have the self-awareness you need to take it to the next level, which might be, I need to discover or, or I need to research breathing. I need sure. to, uh, the, the, the interesting thing about breathing is in a high stress moment, you can't namaste your way out of it. You can't, you can't sit down and go, wow, you know, right now I'm going to do some box breathing and shift back into a parasympathetic state. Sir, would you stop beating on me for a moment, please? I just, I got to get in my lotus position. Um, not making fun, but I am making fun because that the homework for managing violence needs to happen before the violence. Right. So you can't, you can't YouTube how to in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. Well, the, can, uh, somebody. The, the phrase that I've always liked is, um, cause I did some, and it was mostly with, uh, firearms based training, but some scenario based stuff. We did some force on force stuff with, uh, handguns, concealed practice, that kind of work. And, uh, one of the phrases that was always taught was you, you will, your baseline is your highest level of training. Right. So like, and in those moments, you're going to fall back to the highest right. level of your training. You're not going to rise to any occasion right. because you think you're going to be like some UFC champion in the moment when you've never done any of that work. Like, so here's an interesting thing, because there's a lot of people who that's their that's their byline in their email signature. You know, under pressure, you know, you don't rise to the occasion. You default to the level of, you know, you, you know, to your baseline. Yes, maybe, is my answer. And what I mean by that is most people never work on the neural circuitry of fear. They don't study it. And that's what the whole No Fear program is about. It's not about N-O-F-E-A-R. It's about K-N-O-W. When I understand where fear shows up in my mind and in my life, I could start making adjustments, but I need to have the self-awareness. I need to have the program. I need to, I need to kind of have some tools. So we've created like a, like a, a metaphoric algorithm where you drop, what's your problem? Well, I'm afraid to, you know, get up on stage and play this solo. I'm afraid to tell this person we need a divorce. I'm afraid to tell this person, I love you. I want to get married. I'm afraid to say, I'm sorry. I'm whatever it is. I'm afraid to defend myself. I'm afraid to assert myself. And then what we do if we do it enough, it becomes part of our, our habits. And then we rationalize it. And then it's like, hey, why didn't you say anything there? Ah, what's the point? They're not. Well, that may be true, but maybe you didn't do it because of fear and not because of what, what could be true. And this is important in terms of self-esteem, dignity, self-actualization. You know, do something and then go, you know, um, I was afraid to play tackle football, never played as a kid. When I went to uh, Springfield College in Massachusetts, my dream was to get on the football team. For And I had zero reason to have that as a dream because I grew up in Canada. We didn't even have an organized football team at our school. Like it wasn't even an option. So my, my weird 17, 18 year old ego brain was, uh, man, I would love to play on an AstroTurf field for a college team. And then it was the idea, but you don't like, you're going up against guys that have been playing since they're seven years old, eight years old. 
And I went like, so imagine if I do this, how cool that would be. And I worked my ass off and I made it past the first cut. And then um, I'm at the next one. And again, I was a good athlete, but I was scared. Like walking to the field, to the, to the, to the uh, 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 tryouts and to the practices, adrenaline, heart racing. But I'm like going, wow, look at the lights. This is a night practice. I'm holding a helmet. I'm wearing a jersey. This is fucking cool. And I'm nervous. And then in practice, one of the practices I left there, both of my arms were bleeding. Both of my arms were swollen from guys smashing helmets into me and, 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 and the grills. And, and I said to one of the guys I was walking back with, I said, um, man, if I didn't know any better, I would swear these guys were trying to hurt me. Like, I'm so fucked up. I don't know if I can practice tomorrow. And he looked at me like I was a moron. He goes, they are trying to hurt you. I go, what do you mean? He says, like, if you're injured, you can't play. And then they play. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it suddenly realized that, like, that that's not what I wanted. I, and I, and this is a weird story, but I had accomplished what I wanted. I got to that point where, you know, I, I had my jersey. I kept my jersey. I was on. I wouldn't have been a starter. I wasn't that good. But I made it. And then I realized, I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't want to, you know. And, and as an athlete, I was always like the wrestler, tennis player, gymnast, martial artist. I was, I was the lone operator, right? So, so yeah, the, 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 the team thing, although I dug it, when I realized that these guys were trying to hurt me so they could have my spot, I was like, what is this weirdness? And no offense to the football players out there, that's part of the, the culture. Maybe I just had like a toxic team, but, but I ended up going to the coach and saying, hey man, like I'm just wasting time and stuff like that. You know, I've never played before. I, I, I don't know how I got this far, uh, but I want to thank you for you know the, the opportunity and the chance to try out. But I'm gonna I'm gonna back off here. And he thanked me for my honesty. But it was like a self awareness piece there, where it was like, why, why am I doing this? So what I'm saying is, when you understand fear and how to manage fear, you do things, you try things, you go, this isn't for me. Well, you're not doing you're not not doing it because of fear. You did it. Mm. You know, right? It's yeah. it's it, it's subtle, and I'm down a rabbit hole. So. No, it makes sense because the inverse of that, like if, if you don't understand and know how to manage fear, like you said, you won't do anything out of fear. And I, and that's actually a uh, a fairly good segue into one of the things I want to talk to you about was the last 20 months of all of our lives, fear has pretty much dominated every aspect of it for a great majority of everybody. And so I'm curious, like just, what I mean this is right in your wheelhouse of like seeing all of this messaging and how it's affecting everybody and everybody's decision-making processes. And, uh, I mean, what are I, you I, seeing? I, ironically, man, I posted yesterday cause, uh, I, I've, I've been really backing off Instagram and Facebook just cause I'm crazily shadow banned and, and which is crazy cause you know, all I'm trying to do is help people. And, and it's the people I follow and the stories I share obviously aren't, part of the new world order narrative. And, um, but ironically, I posted a, a picture from my no fear talk from Sorenex uh, yesterday. And I basically said, you know, there's always two opponents, 
right? The first opponent in, in terms of probably order is you see the threat. Then the next opponent is your mind producing a movie in your mind of how bad this can get. And so you're always fighting two opponents and you can't, you can't figure out the solution or the strategy to fight the real opponent if you don't recognize the, the opponent in your mind, because that's, it's the mind that's gonna say, you know, don't do anything. There's nothing you can do, you're fucked, right? So, you know, we talk about the acronym false expectations appearing real. When I'm visualizing a future event that's immobilizing me in the present, it's impacting me in the present. So with respect to the last two years, and this, listen, I'm a, I, I'm a fear management expert. Woo you know, what a cool title, what does that mean? Dude, uh, I got to step away from it. I consume too much of it. You know, I watched the wrong video and suddenly I'm not working. I'm not present for my family. And I'm like daydreaming about this, you know, future world going, which side of the fence am I on? You know, what's my family doing? Like, you know, uh, you know, is this 1984? Is this V for Vendetta? Is this... Uh, uh, Elysium, like all these movies where you, you know, if you watch these things, you go, holy shit, how did those guys write those things? Because we're right like there and who's going to save us? Um, so it's, it's, it's truly scary times. But one of the cool things about fear is if you look at it properly and you don't get too sucked into the future visualization, you look at it, looking at fear can also help you um, reveal uh, what's missing in your mental and physical arsenal. Oh my God, I don't have ammo. Oh my God, I don't have rations. Oh my God, I don't have a generator, right? Or, and that's of course uh, extreme, like, you know, end of the world. Uh, but, you know, you may be looking at that and, and going, why doesn't somebody do something? These people work for us, we need, and you suddenly realize, oh my God, I'm gonna go to city hall today and get involved in politics. You know, like we all bitch about that. We've all gotten so fucking lazy and we just assume, and I saw a really uh, good, I forget who said it, um, but we've forgotten that the politicians work for us. And like morons, we voted for them because we didn't care who we voted for. And when in the history of the world, when in the history of the world have politicians not abused their power and their position? Has that ever happened in the history of recorded history? It always happens. And so now, and so, and now you, you, you know, every single culture was dictatorship, tyrannical. There was always slaves not just here in America, motherfuckers, right? Right? Everywhere, always. And there were always the, the people who were getting bribed or paid off. And, you know, everyone was always, there was always a king who got murdered because the yeah. second in command went, I got a better idea. But it was always ego, greed, power. The decision-making process in that, especially when, like, you're being peppered externally with fear messaging, right? Like when the whole, that, the whole, that's the whole point of it. 
And I've referenced this. It's probably been a few months since I've referenced it on the, on the podcast, but I remember uh, seeing a study that was done like back in the forties and uh, they essentially took a group of people and just shoved fear-based propaganda down. Like it was the only thing they consumed. And after, I think it was like eight or 10 weeks of that, it didn't matter how much proof on the other side, like that would have proved what they've been told wrong. Doesn't matter how much of it they were shown, they would never change their mind. And like that eight to 10 week part, like phase of time, they decided like, if it's been this long, you're not gonna, it doesn't matter how much other side you show a person it, from the way it's just been ingrained in their brain. They're never going to be able to come out of that. They, they shift and they carry it like that. So, you know, now it's the unvaccinated people are going to kill the world. Right. Right. Um, even though they've got, um, people who work at, I'm going to leave the names out because who knows how the AI works at, at, at some of, you know, at, at the, the, the companies that are peddling everything, selling everything, companies that are regularly have their products pulled off the market after people go, oh shit, this is really bad for you, or pay billions of dollars in lawsuits. They've got scientists on record, you saw the Project Veritas stuff the, this week, going, hey, you know, natural immunity is, is actually better than this. But nobody, nobody in our country will say, hey, if, if you've had this, you're good to go. You don't need, you don't need this shot. Um, and, uh, but they're peddling, peddling, peddling. And you're right. I was at dinner the other night with my wife and uh, there was, so she's 50, I'm 61. Um, I know Rob in the cradle. <laughs> but uh, uh, there was a, a couple who was probably 15, 20 years older than us okay. there, or they just looked like shit. Um, uh, but they were talking about the vaccine and they were talking about everything and it was like oh my god i turned to my wife and i go this couple has only ever watched cnn i mean i was it ruined my meal <clears throat> to a degree because i could <clears throat> they were talking too loud for me to you know not not have it go in my brain and go and i was i wanted to come across and just say listen i'm going to show you this study from israel and this is from Dr. Malone, the guy who invented mRNA, and he's posting it. So this isn't me, some, you know, Trump supporter. And like, this is, this is a doctor who invented mRNA vaccines, reposting the study from Israel, showing that they're on their, they're on their third shot here and they're, everyone's still getting infected and the people who are getting shots are so... I'm not saying this virus isn't dangerous to some people, but what you're believing is propaganda, right? The whole, and that's, but the, the, you know, that's all part of the division and that's all part of the, but people like at no time in the history of the world has this been more important. Our ability to change our relationship with fear, to recognize that we <clears throat> just read a tweet, saw a meme, heard something at dinner where we felt our physiology change and going back to what you said, the thing about meditation and breathing is you can learn to notice state changes between parasympathetic and sympathetic. And that's your first pre-contact cue. Why do I feel weird right now? What's going on? 
we, if I circle back all the way to self-defense and nothing could be more uh, um, vital, critical, reasonable than being able to protect yourself or your family. But nobody talks about this in, 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 in the self-defense world really, is that the, the relationship between intuition and intelligence. Because intuition always whispers in your ear and cognitive dissonance always is there to meddle. I got a bad feeling about this guy. I'm about, have you ever been fucked over in a relationship, Ross? Not bad. Okay. Well, don't ruin my, my wife story. for a don't long time. My story, but um, <laughs> well, I'll just say yes. Go with the okay. yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you, have you ever been fucked over in business? Sure. Okay. So, or when I say relationship, I mean yeah. life. Yeah. Because totally. Because you can't get fucked over if you don't have a relationship. Right. If your car mechanic rips you off, the relationship was I trusted you with my car. If your doctor lies to you, right? I had a trusting relationship. So um, every time, almost every time when I've talked to people who've been screwed over by somebody they trusted, somebody near them or they say, you know, I never trusted that guy, like after the fact. And it's like, well, why would you be in a relationship with somebody you never trusted? Or you'll hear this a lot. And you probably said this, if I ask you the question again, um, you know, I knew that guy was going to fuck me. I thought there was something, you know, it was like, hey, uh, you said you'd pay us after the gig. Yeah, well, you know, uh, this is the cover charge. Dude, sorry, fuck off. You know, and then someone goes, I knew that guy was going to fuck us. If everyone knew that, why'd you do the gig? And I'm using this as a metaphor because everyone listening to this has said, I knew that was going to happen. So I come back to our intuition whispers in our ear and then our cognitive dissonance, that part of our brain that says, it's okay, I got this. I'm smarter than you intuition. So, I mean, that's all part of the no fear program is how do we learn to trust our instincts, our intuition, have a conversation. So it's a kind of like a, 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 a very natural self-induced Socratic experience. Why, why did I get that feeling? Is it just paranoia or did they say or do something because if I, if I walk up to somebody who works for me, who's the most honest employee, and I go, look, man, I got this really weird thought I got to share with you, but are you, are you stealing from the company? If they've never done that, their reaction to it, if they've never even considered it, their reaction will be something like, oh my God, like, like really, like, no, like something, right? It's like when you see you know, somebody being interviewed on TV who goes, hey, I came home and everyone was dead. I, who did this to my family? And you're going, you did, motherfucker. We can tell you're lying, right? There's a, there's a behavioral response when somebody really is shocked and it, you feel it in their either their body language or their tone or combination. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going down the, another uh, rabbit. Well, well no, no, that brings up a, an interesting point because having those discussions and the reason that you said like, if you were to approach somebody, your intuition might say something about something, but especially with where we are right now, like you'd get in more trouble for even having that conversation or like asking that question because now it's been considered stereotyping or profiling or whatever it is. And so that's like diminished our ability to even trust our intuition to have those conversations. Well, the most important thing is 
you know, I always tell people the first fight is the fight in your head. I alluded to that earlier. It is, is have that conversation with yourself. So can you walk away from a conversation? Can you walk away from a situation? And then if you are going to talk, how do you articulate it? Knowing that this person either, and this is one of the, one of the problems right now is that you and I will go, well, they're just brain brainwashed from propaganda. Well, if that's true, like, let's say I find out my daughter was brainwashed from propaganda. If I say to her, you've been brainwashed by propaganda, she's going to go, fuck you, dad. Right. They said you to say that, right. <laughs> Versus, you know, and I don't have the answer right now, but sweetheart, here's how the brain learns things. And this is how we create neural patterns. And this is how we, we ingest or absorb information. And I want to share with you, you know, this, this, this idea here. And I want you to really think about, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I don't want to, you know, people ask me like, how does your system work? And I go, it's, it's an organic approach where based on your relationship with the person and your understanding of the material, you co-create a conversation and a solution. And it's profound. You know, I've got a, uh, a guy who's affiliated with me. He's on our mobile training team now, but he's been a psychologist for 20 years. He uses our No Fear program to help treat vets with PTSD. And it's amazing. And the, res the results are amazing. In fact, you know, he, after, after he adapted my system for that environment, he calls me up. He says, dude, I haven't told you this because I was, I was testing it but this works better than anything I've learned in 20 years of psychology. And I was like, holy shit. I said, Jeff, can I use that as a quote on our coaching site? He said, fuck yeah, it's, it's true. So that actually is a quote now. This guy's like a, you know, professional psychologist, but the material is so simple. Like we, we, we show it to people. We go, you're here. You were here, you're here now. This is called the fear loop. You need to get to here. And it's like just a strip map for the mind. So when, when you know where you are and you have to go, you're not lost anymore. So if I apply that here, right now we all feel lost and it makes us crazy. But if I go, we're here and we need to get here, you go, but what if it goes here? No, that's the fear loop. That hasn't happened yet. We need to get here. How do you take care of yourself and your family first, then your community, but you got to take care of your mind first. Yeah. You, you the, can't. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to say that the thing that I've thought about recently, and I can't remember who I've seen talk about this and maybe, you know, from just from knowing, but uh, the difference between fear and actual danger, right? Yeah, like, that might, because that might've been me. But it probably was you. I'm sure I've seen it like a hundred no, times. You know, there's a famous quote from a Will Smith movie that, you know, uh, uh, you know, danger's real, but fear isn't, you know, something like that. Like it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of his movies. But I did, I did a whole analysis of that because if fear can create a heart, conditions for a heart attack, if fear, psychological fear produces cortisol and stress and that kills people, then, because the, the quote is, I don't I know it off by heart, I should memorize it, but uh, fear isn't real, the danger's real. 
right? Something like that, you know? And I went, well, no, the fear is real. Because if you believe it, like if I tell you this is the end of the world and you hang yourself in your garage because you don't want to experience the end of the world, didn't the fear kill you, not the actual danger? It's a different way to look at it, man. Fear kills people. It kills our dreams. It, 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 it stifles ability. And years ago, I said, you know, that, that fear throttles everything we do. Who we talk to, therefore, who we marry, where we work, how much money we make, how much weight you lift, right? Uh, and whether or not you're going to defend yourself. And when I say throttles, I mean it like, like visualizing you're on a bike and it's the throttle. I go, mm, and I fucking back off. Cause I'm like, whoa, I'm not gonna make that jump, turn around or fuck it, let's do it, you know? And so, you know, and I have this metaphor of how do we use fear as a fuel, you know? And it's gotta be, it, it can't be the backseat driver. It can't be in the back of your head going, you're a shitty driver, you're gonna get there late, you're gonna suck, you know? So it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole, I think it's a very valuable reframe at any time in our history. I think fear was present in, in, but at, at the propaganda machine is unlike anything it's ever been because big tech, big pharma, government are working together. Yeah. It's insane. How much of the reframing part of it um, do you think is like how you self talk, like your actual language? Right. The because I, I, th I just think of the example like when you the, the classic example, like when somebody's on a really high elevation. Right. Like and you say, don't look down like the first thing that they do is look down. And, and so, I mean, how much of that reframing in the mindset piece of it is like the actual language and verbiage that you're using? It's 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 huge, man, because you need to be your coach. Right. Um Years ago, I had the honor and pleasure to spend some time with Sugar Ray Leonard when he was in Montreal fighting Duran. And he came back and we became, uh, we became not, not buddies, but I saw him a couple of times. We hung out with him during the camp for the fight, spent some time you know, with him shooting 21 on the side of a private basketball court because he, he couldn't play basketball with his security detail because imagine if he had jammed a finger like a week before the fight. So I'm just like hanging out with him, talking about fighting and mindset and shit like this. Then he came back after he beat Duran in the second fight, he came back to Montreal for some meetings. We got together and uh, talked. And in one of the conversations, uh, I asked him, I said, how much, and he had, just, he had just terminated his relationship with Angela Gandhi, who was, you know, had trained Ali one of the most famous boxing coaches in the world. And I said, how much does Angelo tell you? I was trying to pick his brains. Like, why would you, why would you get rid of this guy who, who, who was your coach like after the Olympics, all the way through your big fights. And he basically said, if Angelo has to tell me what to do in the ring at this stage of my career, then Angelo should be in the ring and I should be outside the ropes. But there was a point, the linear logic, if we reverse or the inverse of that, is there was a time in his career where he'd sit in the corner and look up and Angelo would go, 
kid, I need you to do this, where he could see it. A lot of us don't have that 30,000, 20,000, 10,000 foot view of our lives. So we, we see the tweet, we, get the, we, we open the letter, we open the email, and suddenly we're thrust into this nightmare in our mind. Oh, fuck. And it happens every day. But here's the thing is, is like I've been asked, what's it like to have no fear? to me, like, um, like I do like this five hour presentation at a company or a team or an organization talking about it. And, and I'm like, I've studied violence for aggression for 43 years. The presentation, as you know, it's pretty captivating, you know? And you now, so I've had people at the end of it go, man, what's it like to have no fear? And I do this and I go, I'm sorry, are you talking to me? Like, I, like I'm afraid of everything still. What I do is I manage fear. I hurt my knee yesterday working out. I've got three big courses coming up. I'm going, fuck, is my knee going to be fucked up in the course? Why are you thinking about something in 10 days? Fucking rehab now. Get up out of my chair. Hey, it feels pretty good. Let me bend it a little bit. No, there it hurts. Like, why are you fucking, why? athletes do that. Hey, this doesn't hurt anymore. But if I do this, it hurts, right? Like, we're like, we're always like looking for the pain, right? Yeah. And, we, and that's kind of a metaphor. We do that in our lives sometimes, right? Yeah. You know, well, so far today's a good day. I wonder what's going to happen to me. Like, what? Are, that's not a good way to live. So we come back to your <laughs> self-talk thing. But here's the thing. You can't make those corrections if you don't have self-awareness. Mm. Studying fear management amplifies self-awareness. So you catch yourself. Yesterday... I had a big problem in business and I'm talking on the phone with one of my business coaches. And I say to her, I go, I don't know, man, I'm just overwhelmed. I, I, I'm just, not, I'm not, maybe I'm not cut out to be a fucking entrepreneur. And she goes, like, is that sentence true? I go, well, fuck, like, like I see other people, they don't get stressed like me over this shit. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And uh, we have a little talk. And then I say to her, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm tired. I injured myself. And I'm acting like a little fucking baby right now. And she laughs. And I go, because I've been running a multi-million dollar company for 30 fucking years, right? I teach all over the world. I've got all of these products and services. How dare I say, maybe I'm not a good entrepreneur. So we come back to Ross, like that self-talk is everything, but you gotta catch it. So one of the things we talk about in our program, I give some of it away here, is that when you get a fear spike, a fear spike immediately creates self-doubt. That's just natural. You're supposed to do that. If you got up out of bed and your back went zing, you shouldn't do a cartwheel. You stop and you go, there's a moment of doubt. And then you stand up into it. Okay, fuck, I thought that was going to go into spasm. Or you can tell how old I am. I'm giving examples where getting out of bed, right? How old is this guy? He kept on saying, he hurt his knee and then he hurt his... But it, it, it you know, you get up to leave a, a, a meeting and then all of a sudden you go, shit, my fucking phone, right? You if you, you could be something is like, like an external object that you could replace like this and you go, my phone, 
And there's this urgency, doubt. Doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. Now we're consuming time, the only resource we can regenerate. So in the case of I, I might have forgot my phone, I'm using that as a silly example. Right. You, that freaks you, some people out though, man. Like, but, right, you, but yeah, because they're so attached to it. But I'm right. using it as an example because I wanted to use a piece of technology, but it could just be you leave the house, you're late for work or a meeting or the airport, and you're stopped at a light and then you go, fuck, did, did I put the alarm on? Or did I, did I close the stove? I don't, fuck. If the moment you have the fear spike, you have doubt, doubt creates hesitation, hesitation creates procrastination. And now you're distracted. Do you get in a car accident? Do you, do you, do you not show up fully engaged to a meeting because you're thinking about something else? This is, this is, I figured out a, a very connected and compartmentalized way, and that sounds counterintuitive, to look at what causes worry. And if you understand that when we worry about things, we're distracted. And if we're distracted, we can't be fully focused. And now here I am, 15 years old at bat, worrying about if I strike out and nobody goes, you know, everybody strikes out. Just fucking do your best, man. The MVP in the National Baseball League strikes out half the time. He's at bat. Why do you think you don't get the strikeout? Like just to, to have that conversation, but that's the self-coaching, man. We need, and we can't always, we can't have codependent relationships in life. You can't, you can't every time you have a problem, call me up and go, Tony, say something to me that gets me out of this funk. And, and you need the self-awareness to go, and the, and the first cue comes back to what you identified earlier. The first cue is you got, I got butterflies in my stomach or I'm breathing vertically or my palms are sweating or I noticed I'm like, this person's talking to me and all I see is this because the conversation in my head is louder than whatever they're saying. Right, totally. Man, It's cool, awesome. man. You change your relationship with fear, you change your life. It, it really does. And it's, and I want to give you the opportunity because we're coming up, uh, up here on an hour. Um, to tell everybody about where everything is, like all the courses, all of the training, all the things that you're doing, there's tons. And yeah. the, the, are you doing in-person stuff again now? Sure, it depends is, where, is but yeah. On? Yeah, it depends yeah. where. So, you know, I just had a meeting this morning. We're setting up some courses in the United Kingdom because now they're, you know, where they were borderline moving where Australia is going. They said, no, you know, Hey, if you've had COVID, you're good. If you've got the vaccine, you're good. If you don't know, just show us a test and otherwise get on with your life. So, you know, six months ago, we canceled all the courses there this morning. We got guys going, hey, we're ready for live training again. Um, so, uh, so it depends where you are. You know, we just did our camp in Florida, right? Uh, because it was like too risky to do it anywhere else. Um, If you're interested in our in our personal defense and our personal safety, uh, you just go to our main website, blauertrainingsystems.com. My last name, Blauer, B-L-A-U-E-R, trainingsystems.com. And that'll take you everywhere else. Um, you know, where you go, hey, I'm I'm a I'm a citizen. I want to learn how to make my family safer. We have an online course called Essentials of Personal Safety. Um, it's two hours long. It's 50 bucks for your whole house. Oh my God. So you got five people in the house, 10 people in the house. 
you know, some people scam us. They go, hey, come over for this thing. Go, wow, you got a big family. Um, and only oh, look, look at that. You must have adopted a lot of people. Look at all these ethnicities. <laughs> but I don't really care. I'm just trying to make people safer. That we don't right. we don't make our money uh, doing fifty dollar head. This is just me trying to give back to the world. Ross, when I was asked, you might know the story from listening to other podcasts. But when I was asked when I was twenty, what I wanted to do when I was older, and I said to this this businessman, I want to make the world safer. I abhor violence, I abhor fear, and I'm not passionate about teaching this. I'm fucking obsessed with it and do everything I can where I'm working harder now today than I was a year ago, than I was two years ago, than I was 10 years ago. So EOPS is a place to start. Essentials of Personal Safety, it's two hours, low barrier for entry. Check it out, go, hey, these guys are good or these guys are shit, what did I spend 50 bucks? We have a Be Your Own Bodyguard course, which is a one-day course. Uh, to run those, you got to find one or you got to host one. So if you've got a company or if you've got a team or your community, you could say, hey, I got like six neighbors and they got, we're going to do this. We've got 18, 20 people together. We'll send one of my team and do like this in your house. How do you street proof yourself? What do you do that? Uh, cost isn't that expensive, but uh, you don't want to talk about that online. Just, you know, email us. We'll get that going. But it's taught, and I want to explain this, the Be Your Own Bodyguard course is taught with the same efficiency as a paramedic or EMS teaches a first aid course, right? So people are like, you can't learn to defend yourself in a day. And I'm like, yeah, you can when you're taught the three Ds, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate and defend. Each one of those Ds has a, a subset of, of components that people are taught. And at the end of a day, literally you're safer. You're safer in a day. If you ask a martial artist this, here's a little caveat reframe. If you ask a friend who's a martial artist this, or if you're listening to this and you're a martial artist who does jujitsu, Thai boxing, Krav Maga, you're immediately going, who is this guy? He's full of shit. You can't learn self-defense in a day. Respectfully, you're confusing learning a martial art in a day, which I agree with you, you can't do. You can't learn to box in a day. You can't learn Taekwondo in a day. You can't learn jujitsu in a day. But guess what? You can learn what do bad guys look for, what do bad guys not want, what are things you can do to improve your situational awareness and avoid the violence, what are strategies for de-escalation, which are not taught at martial arts schools, what are the non-violent postures, the Trojan horse principles of de-escalation, and if push comes to shove, what's the easiest, fastest thing you can do, and that's weaponize the startle flinch, and turn that startle flinch into, guess what, when you push away danger, when, when your body flinches because somebody moves on you and your hands come up, you lock and load the biomechanic toolbox to smash people with finger jabs, palm strikes, forearm blasts, and elbows. And it's done with incredible mind speed. And to get a little neuroscience nerdy here, all that matters in a confrontation is how quickly you can move suddenly. Because it's a surprise. Nobody goes, oh, I'm going to be, I can't talk now. I'm about to get attacked, right? <laughs> like no, right. Like all, all attacks are, like if you're a good Samaritan, all attacks are surprises. You're getting money at the yeah. ATM, you're getting in your car. And people don't think this way. It's the sparring is part of it in a martial arts school. But if you're not doing scenario specific or what we call evidence-based training, then you're not really educating the brain. So that's what goes on our Be Your Own Bodyguard course. And then we've got a whole like, a cascade of other, we've got train the trainer courses. I've got hundreds of affiliates. These are people from professional martial artists from around the world who go, you know what? 
I used to hate Tony Blauer because he did something different. That's a joke to all of you that, that want to get a voodoo doll of me and stick a pin in my head. Um, and if I could monetize my haters, I'd make a lot of money. But there's people, they just don't understand. It's the neurobiology of survival. It's the neuroscience of self-defense. And when people understand that, it amplifies their, their survivability. That's all. You're just learning how to manage fear. And, and the other thing what we're doing with the trainers is teaching them how to conduct safe and scientific scenarios. So that's a whole other course, train the trainer courses. And um, and then what else? We have our, our whole no fear programs we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, a lot of people can't uh, get to me because of geography or finances. Uh, and so what we did is we put online and we're still selling it at a huge discount. It was something like I cut the price in half just because of, of pandemic lockdown. I wanted people to have access to this research it's called No Fear. Um, I wrote a nine-page book, a little ebook called Making Friends with Fear. And it's nine pages. So there's no excuse not to read it. It's free. It will put you in my funnel because I'm going to try and sell you shit because that's how I feed my family. <laughs> um, but it's... But listen, if you've listened to it this far, your intuition, right. your intuition should tell you whether I'm full of shit or not, right? right? Your intuition should say, okay, this guy's bullshitting or this guy, this is the truth. Or it's a missing component. I need, I should do a little research on this. Read the Making Friends with Fear ebook. You'll get an email from me going, hey, or a prompt, hey, do you want to buy No Fear? Um, because I want you to have it. And if you read the testimonials of people, it's insane. I could get, I could go in my office right now and read a letter a 10 year old just sent me. You wanna hear this? It's fucking insane. A 10, a, a 10 year old, you wanna hold on? Do you have any kids? Two year old. Well, check this out, stand by. Congrats on the two-year-old and remember this. So get this. I just got some of you. If, if you guys are watching the video, you'll notice I have some tattoos. If you're only listening to the audios, I have some tattoos. And uh, I was getting some ink done in uh, Vegas a few weeks ago. And this uh, guy, Aaron, who owns Ghost Tattoo, there's a plug for Aaron in Vegas, who owns Ghost Tattoo, um, before we start, he says, uh, Hey man, I went through your no fear program with my son. He's 10. He's been having anxiety this year with the whole masks, sports with masks, COVID fear, propaganda, people talking. Um, I read making friends with fear with him and we've been listening to your podcast and going over the no fear program. And, uh, I got to tell you, and he pauses and his eyes well up. This is a father, his eyes well up. He goes, uh, what, this, what you're doing for my son, I can't even thank you. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not doing anything for your son, you are. You are teaching your son this stuff. You are leading, you are showing him. And there's a moment there, I said, don't make me cry, man. And, and his eyes are, and I might start crying here. He goes, uh, he says, uh, my son Salem wrote something for you and he hands me this. And I want you guys, if you can see this, right? Look at that. 
It's a 10-year-old kid. This is not even, I got goosebumps, Matt, man. These are, this is not even a month old. I got this on September 11th when I was in Vegas. My daughter's birthday, September 11th. Dear Tony Blauer, thank you for giving me the tools to have a good mindset and for making me into a better person. Me and my dad have been listening to your seminars. It is helping both of us, and I think that is awesome. I would also like to thank you for giving me the tools that help me be brave when I'm afraid, to always practice courage and remember that courage is contagious. I'm excited to learn more and always move forward. Thank you very much, Salem. Dude, like this is what it's about. If somebody, if my dad, when I was 10, had said, let's talk about fear. I don't know what you're talking about, dad. I have no fear. Well, I noticed at the game, at the practice, at the this, or, you know, when mom called you, you looked really nervous. Let's talk about fear. Let's talk about sympathetic, parasympathetic. Let's talk about what it does to your breathing and your focus. Let's talk about the zero you got on that test in school, but you knew the information, but you went blank. Let's talk about how I've been watching you in ski races. You wipe out every race. What's going on? How my life would have been different had somebody taught me to look at fear as a cue and a clue to begin my research, to go, it's okay to be afraid. And that's our line of the course. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But what you need to do is study what's making you afraid. And then you change its hold over you. And that goes for everything in life. But so awesome. this is, this is amazing. Thank you for sharing that, man. That was awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. Well, yeah. hey, man, thank you for making the time today. This was a blast. I really appreciate you, you uh, cutting out a chunk of time. And, and this was awesome. So thank you again, Tony. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Let's go.